Welcome in to Free Skate Friday, another episode of the DNVR Avalanche podcast, presented one by Manscaped Saving Balls over there with AJ, but also presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits, our go-to shop for anything and everything alcohol, but specifically Breckenridge Brewery. You can head on down there and get delivery or pickup from either of their locations in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. I am, of course, Nathan Rudolph, joined by Evan Rowell and the ball saver AJ Hayfley over here next to me. We also have a special guest on the show today, one near and dear to my heart, the man of mystery behind the no camera, Earl 06, or better known as the main editor of Burgundy Review, a place where I used to make content before I joined DNVR. Earl, thanks for coming on the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you today. Uh, one of the main topics, is, as AJ finally gives up on his ball advertisement, uh, is this is something AJ, I know, has talked about before on Discord and in other situations where we're starting to see not NHL players yet, but players from other major leagues opt out of playing their seasons, whether it be, there we go, a lot of love for Earl in the chat early, but we're seeing players opt out of their seasons and the culture of the NHL, of course, there's a lot of talk about how players put the team first and there's certain expectations on NHL players. So when it comes down to it, the question is, do NHL players have a choice when it comes to coming back this year? This is a tough one for me just because I, I don't know exactly what's on the line as far as their financial gains or the league's financial gains. Um, if it's really going to make a difference as far as what their escrow is going to look like over the next couple of years or um, you know, maybe the cap going up sooner than we thought, you know, then there is a motivation to do it by the, the 24 teams that are going to play. Um, if you're not one of the cup contender guys, though, if you're on a team that's you know probably going to lose in, in round zero, uh, this is a tough choice if, if the financial gains aren't there. I like round zero is a good term. Like, like a fourth line guy for Chicago. He's like, mm, <laughs> not going to do it. That. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 putting yourself on the line uh, to really, you know, you're you're missing time with your family. Uh, you, you could be in danger of contracting the virus. Uh, you know, there there's a lot of downside with not much upside there. And regardless of the actual numbers, we do know the NHL of the Big Four, the players are the most financially motivated to come back because of those escrow issues and things like that. We just don't know exact numbers. So it financial part of it aside, it's the big argument I saw on it was about hockey culture. And this is a conversation that certainly as of late has flared up again uh, for various reasons. Uh, including obviously the bigger issues going on with, with racism and, and things like that, but also including things like Dan Carcillo's lawsuit against junior hockey with serious issues of hazing and how anyone who goes against the team is seen as the enemy, I suppose. Yeah, the real question here boils down to, will there be retribution either from teams or players if a player decides that he doesn't want to play? You know, it's one thing for a baseball player to say, I'm good, I'm going to skip a 60-game season. Um, you know, free agency, a lot of other factors could be on the line there. For this guy, this is purely a playoff run. And this is like what hockey players build towards, right, is potentially winning the Stanley Cup. So the the real question is, is, do players really have a choice here? Like they've they've built it into, uh, built it into the the CBA extension talks and the return to play plan that players would be able to opt out, penalty free. Like, hey, you can go and you can decide that this is not for you. But even though it says it's penalty free, would it really be? 
Yeah, I, I think don't think it, so. <laughs> no, I think it would be. I would be surprised if, uh, like, a contending team had somebody drop out. See, I think that's where it would come up. But I, I mean, yeah. there's been some NBA players that have dropped out, but they're mostly on the teams that are like, yeah, we don't really have a shot at you know going anywhere. And that's where I could see some of these NHL players like. If somebody on Chicago was like, you know what, I'm just not not feeling it. Like, I mean, would you blame them? It's just you don't have a great no. shot. What are you doing? Like, you have to go to a three week training camp and just kill yourself over what four or five games. Yeah. Well, and it's it's more like it's more like will you know will the will hockey's culture allow them to just walk away if they decide to right. do that? What's Let's or see. will a team, you know, a team in for a guy's going to be a free agent. A team will say, "Oh, we're not going to sign him. He doesn't have a team attitude because he walked away during the pandemic." Instead of going for the COVID cup, he decided to take his ball and go home. That's what I'm asking. That's the question here: is will hockey's culture allow somebody to actually walk away penalty free? I think if it was going to happen, this is the time to have it happen because of everything that's going on in the world that. This might be the time where it actually would be accepted that, hey, this guy doesn't want to, he doesn't want to risk health. He doesn't want to leave his family. You know, I get it. There's a lot going on right now. And if it's ever going to be accepted, it's going to be right now. Would he be accepted by his teammates? I was going to say, if if you ask 31 GMs this question, what do you think the percentage would be as far as no, there wouldn't be any retribution as far as signings in the future and whatnot. I don't, I don't think from a GM perspective, it would be significant because I think if a GM feels a player can help them win a Stanley cup, they're going to go get that player. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. We've, we've seen GMs and, and teams have overlooked lots of stuff. Players actively went out and got Todd Bertuzzi after he tried to kill a dude. So, (laughs) That's because he could play. Exactly. Like, that's the right. thing is if 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 it is a fourth line guy from Chicago, I wish I had their roster in front of me so I could pick half of their forwards. But if it's one of these borderline guys who's fighting for an NHL career <laughs> in general, you know, you could see maybe they they'll be like, well, hey, if we're gonna pick between a guy that's bailed on his team and a guy that doesn't, I could see where a team would make that decision, and that sucks. Like that sucks that that would be yeah. held against him. That, yeah, I guess my big question is one with the fourth liners, but two, what about someone like Max Domi? Well, Max Domi's different because he's got a health reason, and I think everybody you could use that as the shield where you say, "Hey, he's got a medical reason for not even playing with this." Sure, there's no point to take a chance, especially on a team that. Nobody truly believes is going to win five rounds to win the Stanley Cup. Um, Max Domi, I think, is an easy one that you can you but, can argue away and say there's a medical reason. Don't worry about so it. So where do you draw the line then? If you're one of these people that is team first, what's okay and what isn't okay? Well, imagine let's you know what let's use Dominic Toninato as an example here. He's sure. he's he's going to be playing for Florida. They we don't really look at Florida as a team that has a great opportunity here. If he if he walked away and said, "I don't want to take this chance," would he get another NHL contract? That's the question, I suppose. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm asking. That's, that's why just, I think this is an interesting conversation. Yeah, it's a lot tougher to with like yeah. a fringe NHL player where you're like, well, I can find one of those guys anywhere. And it so that's that's yeah, the would, argument that they don't really have a choice. Do, does Dominic Toninato not? He has to go, even if he adamantly does not want to go and and thinks that it's not worth him taking the health risk. His NHL career could be on the line because hockey's culture is so screwed up that he couldn't just walk away and people would accept that on for face value. Yeah, you're always going to have, you know, a, a whole bunch of people that are going to say, you know, don't sign that guy. 
we're not going to be supportive of what he does just because he doesn't want to play mm-hmm. and without an underlying medical excuse. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think the fringe guys are, are going to be the ones that feel the most pressure to do that just because, you know, an NHL contract wasn't guaranteed anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to go out there and, and keep earning it every day. Yeah. So big, it, it would take, it would be interesting if a big, a big name player did say, I'm not coming back. It's not worth it right now. Like Carey Price is the name that's out there that Pierre Maguire said he, he wouldn't Even be surprised if he doesn't Montreal, come back. Though, like... But I'm saying like that, it would take a, maybe a big name player to be like, to well, break the dam. I, I'm yeah, saying to I break th- it. I think it would take a big name player from a contender, even not just like Montreal, who's tanking for the first overall pick anyway. Like it, it's such a. The NHL is so tight-lipped about things like this, where unless you're actively against it, you're complicit with the team culture at times, just by not doing anything. And that's so tough to overcome sometimes. So it'd take an Ovechkin or a Bergeron or someone like that saying, no, I'm not going to play to, to make it okay for, for more rank and file guys to, to blow it off. I mean, I think personally, I think it's okay. No matter what, for the record, I think if they don't want to play, they shouldn't, but (laughs) right. I I think it's I think it's a tough question just because I think I think players have choices. Uh they're grown they're grown adults. They have families, they have priorities. Um I I think if you're established in your career and you're truly uncomfortable, don't don't bother. Walk away. And if that costs you your career then again, we're talking about this is an, this is a culture problem. I think I think I'm more worried about the teammates than I am the GMs because if say let's just use a, a middle of the road guy that we know is like solid, right? Say, say like a uh, Val Nichushkin decides he doesn't want to come back to, for Colorado for this. And then the Avs, you know, who would of course have given him a qualifying offer and brought him back next year. If, if the Avs suddenly reverse course, he doesn't come back and cause he's not comfortable taking the chance medically. And then the Avs cut him loose I think it's a bad look on the abs because they're yeah. saying I think I think it comes back on the team, on the GM. It's more the and, and they wouldn't they would know that and they would say, Hey, we're not doing that. We're not gonna take that chance. We're not gonna be the center of that blowback. Especially with the way that people have a lot of time on their hands right now and they are aggressively going after people with whom cancel. they disagree. It's cancel culture time. Um I, I get what you're saying, though, right? Like, what happens if they bring him back, but he is now completely isolated in the rock locker room because the rest of the team feels yep. like he abandoned them? Yeah. Would, would his teammates ever trust him again? Yeah. Then at that point, you wonder if, if culture will ever change. Like, if the, right. if the hockey culture is ever going to change. Like, if someone has legitimate, like, I mean – it's not easy. I'm sure there's people out there that are away from their kids. Like that would be a great question. I, if we get to talk to like a guy like Landy or Kadri who have a young child, just say like, Hey, did that thought ever cross your mind that maybe I don't want to go back. Maybe I want, I don't want to take that risk and be away from my family, be away from everyone. So yeah, I mean, if somebody good backs out and then they're kind of, you know, looked at differently by their teammates around the league, then yeah. I mean, is it would be culture ever going to change? Yeah. That would be really disappointing to me. And while I'm sure every organization will have some more old school thinking people that are against that type of thing. Come on. (laughs) We could be better than this. I don't think it would happen with the Avs just because I think Landy wouldn't, He's a very, you know, we know what he stands up for. I don't think he would allow it personally. I'd be curious. I mean, yeah. what if, what, I mean, okay. So say, you know, pick a, pick a guy, you know, JT Confer doesn't come back. Right. Or somebody like that doesn't come back. And we can just continue to use Nichushkin. Yeah, that's fine. He doesn't come back. 
the Avs lose in the Stanley Cup Finals in Game 6. And you're looking at it, you're saying the difference between Nachushkin and somebody else, you know, maybe you always wonder, right? You <laughs> always never know, but you, yeah. but you'll always wonder you were, you were two wins away from the cup. Could Val Nachushkin have been the difference between that? Especially cause it's like Val Nachushkin, you know, Matt Nieto takes his place in the lineup. It's, it is the difference between Matt Nieto and Val Nachushkin two wins in the cup finals. Maybe not, but maybe, right? Like you'll never know. But you'll always wonder, would the teammates ever let him live that down? If they go out and they get smoked in the first round, they never come close. They don't ever have that conversation in the back of their minds. They're not like, oh, well, we fell 13 wins short. You know, like you're not going to feel the same. But if you get right into the very, very, very end of the cup finals and you lose, then you start. Then I wonder how the players handle it. I would wonder would they ever let that go? Or would it just be one of those things where they say the right things, they do the right things, but that deep-seated resentment builds over time, especially if they never win a cup? <laughs> what a dark I'm, timeline. I'm just looking, looking, <laughs> just looking at the comments where it says Landy would straight up beat them, and I just, yeah, I can't. I don't see that. I don't think he's that type of person. I also see... The- I see the abs as an organization that if someone was, was having difficulty making a decision like that, that they would do everything possible uh, even above what the NHL has laid out to make them feel safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Certainly the abs front office has always been very pro players. Yeah. So <laughs> given it's made up right. entirely of recently retired players, it makes a lot of sense. But what about, you know, yeah. other organizations with some more, old school GMs and and things like that. When you're looking at some of these teams, Joe Sackick is a relatively new GM when it comes to the NHL. Granted, everyone in the league fires their GMs every other week these days, it feels like, but (laughs) you have, you have guys that have been around the block quite a few more times than Joe Sackick out here that have some interesting policies. We'll, We'll put it that way. Yeah, I also think, you know, there are just certain organizations that have that toughness or yeah. like if somebody on Boston or Philly backed out, I could just see their fan base going insane. Yeah. And I just, yeah. Well, and again, that goes back to that's a problem with the culture. That's a problem yeah. with that fan base. And that's oh, it's definitely a problem with the fan base. For me, I feel like I feel like players have a choice. Like I feel like is Dominic Toninato in an unfair position here? Definitely. But at the end of the day, I feel like 90% of these guys are free to make whatever decision they truly want to make. And maybe I'm being the naive idiot here. I don't think it's such a false choice. I do think it's a conversation because it's, it's tough, right? Like you hockey's culture is what it is. It's so insular and it's so team first that I do worry about that guy's future, but I would like to believe that in this scenario, just this one unique situation, that's that that people would be cool with it, and they would be like, you know what, this is a well, crazy situation. This, there's a pandemic going on. Not only go, that, go do your thing. But like, there's a sample size here, right? For those tweener guys, most teams played seventy-ish NHL games this year in the regular season, so. Dominic Toninato has a set of games that people can look at and say, you know what, this is a guy worth giving an NHL contract to or whatever. Yeah. Missing the 10 games that no one's going to play. And then between three and if they make it to the second round, whatever, 10 games uh, isn't that big of a sample size really for, for a tweener type mm-hmm. player. Yeah. What about a, what about a pending UFA like a Matt Nieto? What if he just opts out entirely? Now he may not get into the lineup anyway. Like we, that's a real conversation. But if that guy just opted out entirely and said I'm out, and he walks into free agency, I would be curious what his market looks like. I, can't, I can't. Vancouver's already got a five year deal waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Pittsburgh might swing in and try. No, I, I mean that quote that was out there the other day, where it's like seventy-five, like some player allegedly said seventy-five percent of the league doesn't even want to come back or doesn't feel comfortable come back. I don't know if I believe because that seems like a super high. 
I'm, I'm not sure. How does one player have the pulse of 1,200 guys? Yeah, like, right. Like, they're all on Xbox Live, all right? <laughs> however however many. Like, yeah, they're all playing Warzone together. It's just a huge group chat with all yeah. the NHL The players. NHL Discord is just <laughs> popping yeah. off with everyone saying they don't want to come back. Oh, but, man. I mean, we really don't know how all these guys are feeling. I guess it's just... Yeah. I, no one's been around these dudes for four months, so... It's just tough to say, and maybe, maybe this is the one chance for them to be like, "I'm going to say no," and then it's just fine. I mean, clock's ticking. They got to say no. The sooner, the better. Nothing's even set in stone yet, so they they're probably like, "What is even happening?" I mean, nothing's set in stone, but the expectation is games will be being played at the start of August. So we're now inside a month. Well, yeah, but what did Freddie Anderson say the other day? He's like, "We we don't even have details. Like, we want to know." They make us feel a lot better. So I feel like if the NHL gives them concrete plans, then that 75% number would probably dip pretty dramatically. For the record, it's more like... Yeah, it's probably players. 75% have a, a bunch of questions on what's going on. So, you know, I, I figure that's what the representatives are doing in these NHLPA, NHL meetings is saying like, look, this is stuff that a lot of guys are really concerned about and we have to address this before... We're going to sign off and start playing. Yeah. Could you imagine the NHL doing what the NBA is doing and putting that the loser group in a different city? Just like you guys can play. Why? Yeah, I don't. Like, why would yeah. you ever? Like, why would anyone on the Red Wings 100%. be like, yeah, okay? One hundred percent of Detroit's players would be like, nah, we're good. We'll take the forfeits. Like, Especially yeah. with the draft lottery already. Um, yeah. It's like, exactly. <laughs> Money. Well. Yeah. I, Maybe some of the tweener players, but if you have a solid contract, you, I think you're like, mm, no thanks. Yeah, Dylan Larkin's like, bye. Yeah, I'm good, <laughs> dude. See you in the fall. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we do have to take our first period break. As If you need to calm down a little bit, I recommend Strava Craft Coffee, the CBD-infused coffee that has really helped change lives. You can get it in K-Cups, Whole Ground, Whole Bean even, name it. They got you covered. You can drink it iced if you want, even in these hot summers. And you can use that DNVR20 code, which you can see at the bottom of the screen, to get 20% off when you buy. It's been known to help anxiety, many other aches and pains as well. So give it a try today and see if it works for you. We also, of course, have our favorite new golf game at WGT Golf with the big par four tournament coming up this weekend for the 4th of July. You can head on over to dnvrgolf.com to download and get in on our clubhouse. Search for DNVR2. Our first one is already completely full, so we're filling up that second one. That one's already mostly full as well. We might have to start a DNVR3 pretty soon. Let me see. Let me check it real quick. He'll check it out. as We are at 172. There you go. They're 250 is the max, I believe. Yeah. So you got to get Still in there before it fills up. You can be the OG and say you're in DNVR2 when we're running DNVR10 down the line. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it will feel special. Every other weekend, at the very least, we run tournaments where you can compete with everyone in the DNVR fam. And most of us that actually work for DNVR are pretty easy to beat, to be honest with you. There's a couple of us that, that stop scores like Patrick Lyons, but... Most of us struggle our way through the course. So if you want free wins, come on down to the DNVRWGT Golf. Again, at dnvrgolf.com to download and help support us. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's. I'm Ruto, AJ, Evan, and of course my man Earl. The first period was, you know, let's be honest, it's not a very fun conversation, but it is one worth having. So I wanted to get into something a little bit more fun here in the second period. And first off, we started by asking all of our guests about this. Earl, the Hart Trophy conversation. First of all, who would you have winning the Hart? And if it's not Nathan McKinnon, can you make a case for him? Uh Uh-oh, did we lose Earl? <laughs> He's thinking really Earl, hard. Chuckle once if you're still there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Earl's mic may have broken. We'll we'll try and get back to him shortly. In the meantime, we can jump into our uh, our other segment, which was going to be underrated, overrated. 
Um, which, after a, a short conversation I had with AJ Hayfley at the bar a couple weeks ago, I wanted to bring up two abs specifically in this conversation. Uh oh, I don't remember this conversation. It, it, it's it's tangential. Oh, must have been a good night. Yeah, I just remember us talking about StarCraft a whole bunch of that night. It, it was it was more of a, a passing thought. Adam okay. Foot and Milan Hayduk. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, look, obviously they're both great players. If we're talking about underrated, overrated, this is relative. I don't want to uh, to make it too pointed as I don't think either of them deserve to be overrated in the grand scheme. Yeah, I, I think people are look looking at NHL defensemen now and then they're like, how did Adam Foote ever, how was he ever considered one of the best defensemen in the league? And the reality is it's just, you can't compare the leagues that they played in. Yeah. And younger Adam Foote was actually a pretty decent skater considering the style of play he played. And, you know, he he was, you know, people were like, well, you know, he was a second pairing defenseman on that, the 2001 team, but he was on the top pair in 95-96 when they won the Cup. So, and on Team Canada, however million times he was on Team Canada. I think he was on Team Canada three times. Yeah. You don't get picked that much if you're not good at what you do. And he was, maybe he had one specific job but he was very 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 good at je- that job and it won he got a couple rings because of that i i could i can't see him being overrated i saw that and i was just like no it's this yeah. is just too much you know you're trying to put him in this league today and that's just not how it works well and you're you're using the information of today to judge about a player 20 years ago and it's like look do does anybody ever ask like oh i i asked the question like would gordy Howe make an ahl team today like, you know, like, it's just, it doesn't matter. He didn't have to. Yeah. All he had to do was do, he had to succeed and be great at what he did in his, in his era. And that's what foot did foot foot was a top of the line defensive defenseman in his era. I, I don't think he's overrated or underrated. I think he's properly rated as a very good player of that era, but not a hall of famer. Earl Hayduke versus Adam foot. Who you got? I think this is a it's a fun comparison because you really can't directly compare what they did um, because what they did was so different. And it's a tough choice for me. I I like Duke better just because I always kind of go with the score. But Adam Foote is is kind of I, I think his offense was a little underrated for what he actually did. Yeah, he, he wasn't ever asked to do that. But hey, dude. So yeah. I, I mean, it looks kind of silly when you see how much power play time he got, but he wasn't asked to shoot the puck on the power play. He was there to keep the puck in, and, you know, if there was a breakaway, shut that down. That's just the way they played the power play back then. So, you know, I think looking at, you know, all those seasons of 20-ish points, you look at it, you're like, yeah, he's, you know, he didn't have any skill, but he really did. He just, he never developed that because that's not what they did back when he was in juniors. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was the and hey Duke for hey Duke ever so far, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think hey Duke gets a bad rap because we all kind of remember the the last two years in the Sacco system where he was just miserable and his hands had gone. Uh, but he was incredible, and you know he actually played a lot of penalty kill when he was young, and you know he wasn't a total defensive liability, so. It's not like he was all gun and, and no no defense either. So, I mean, I think both guys are, are pretty even as far as where they stand with the Avs all-time list. Um, but if if you ask me to put one ahead of the other, I'd, I'd probably go with the Duke. Cut him. Woo, we got one on the team, baby. We got one on Team Hayduke. It's about time. It's the wrong opinion. My conquest will never end for Hayduke. Yeah. Adam Foot. I, lo- I love Hayduke, but I, I'm always going to go defense. You're allowed to be wrong. You know, Hayduke oh, okay. holds like you a are lot too. of Avs records. So. My man. 
<laughs> you got defense on one side here and four winger on the other. That's right. It's not like I hate Hayduke. He's yeah, it's not, like, it's not like any of us are holding anything against Milan Hayduke. Like, oh, Duke no, is overrated. This is, no, this is no, no, NHL no, no, culture. No. If you don't love them, you hate them. That's the right. That's the... <laughs> All right, no. calm down. <laughs> no gray areas. Yeah, this is all funner though. Uh, yeah, I I don't know about that. But which which one of them scored a clutch goal in the 2001 Stanley Cup Finals? Because it wasn't Milan Hayduke. Oh yeah, okay. If we're picking players off of one game, <laughs> yeah. on the Mount Rushmore, that, that one probably should have been stopped too. But whatever, uh-huh. it wasn't stopped. All of Hayduke's shots were though. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I can't argue with that. He didn't score that series. He was bad. Circling back, though, to, to my um, original question. Earl, I don't know when you dropped out, but I was asking about the Hart Trophy conversation. Who do you have winning it, and can you make a case for Nathan McKinnon? Uh, I do have Nathan McKinnon winning it. Um, and I know he's kind of lost some steam um it pretty much it seems like since the the season ended but you look at sort of what he meant to the abs especially when they were decimated by injuries um you really can't argue that a player in the league was more valuable to his team and that's that's kind of the way i look at the mvp because i don't know how to define how you're valuable to the league but You look at when he was sort of at his best, and and one of those times was in November when the injuries really started piling up the first time. Um, You know, that was probably his best month as far as points per game. And, you know, granted, the Avs record isn't as good then. So you say, oh, well, you know, he scored a lot, but they didn't win. But how much worse would they have been if he hadn't been that good? So, um I compare him to the other guys that look like front runners. Like Max shooting percentage is a lot worse than the other guys. Uh, his points per 60 is really close with all of them. Um, you know, I, I'd say it, it's between he and Panarin. Um, I, I think those two sort of did it more on their own. Every other front runner kind of had another guy. Obviously Leon had McDavid. You have pasta and, and, Lots of people on the Bruins, but especially Bergeron. So those guys kind of held up by themselves better than anyone else in the league, in my mind. I mean, Panarin had a 40-goal score and Mika Zibanejad as the center. Didn't I feel like he played with Strom most of the yeah. year. He made Ryan Strom. People wanted yeah. to trade for him at the deadline. It's like, no! Thanks, Parks it off but no, can I, I, <laughs> can I just say that the Ryan Strom mom thing was like one of the cringiest things all year? Like, I both enjoyed it and couldn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was cute, but I was also like, the whole time. <laughs> no, with the McKinnon thing, I'm just remembering back to the when the Azure run and Werner Bebo. And I think McKinnon had like eight, eight points in two games with all those guys out just to like outscore the other team. This is the this is the Gregor with the right opinion. Yeah, November usual. he had. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think he had five games in November where he had three or more points. So he, there were nights when he pretty much won the game by himself. Um, and, and I think I, I think that really did reflect in the Avs record. Um, so. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how you can make a case, a better case for someone else, but, you know, I'm really biased since I'm an Avs fan and I like Mac a lot. So go for I'm, it. You know, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that honesty where it's like it's everybody, everybody's <laughs> trying to act like they don't have like, a you know, a hat in the ring. And you're just like, I'm a huge Avs fan. So, of course, yeah. I need them again. I don't want it. <laughs> This yeah, is, I'm nor- invested here. <laughs> they, no- they normally vote for the winners right after the regular season's over, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I so actually that's... think that that momentum, yeah. I think it probably helped McKinnon because had they finished the season, McKinnon would have been hurt and he would have been out of the eye for the last two weeks of the playoff push. And I think that would have yeah. dusted him. And then Dreisaitl would have ended up 30 points ahead of him and it would have been like, oh. What are you going to do? 
All right. <laughs> I did have uh, I did have one more under over. Well, a couple more, I suppose. We'll go one at a time here. Coming from your neck of the woods, Earl, and we'll get uh, we'll get everyone's opinion on this one. Stanley Cup winning goaltender Cam Ward, <laughs> under or overrated? <laughs> As I look at my 2006 Hurricanes Cup winning banner, yeah, I, I think over his career he's been pretty overrated. He was great that year. Uh, he was great in the playoffs. Anyway. <laughs> I don't. He might. I feel like people have been saying he's overrated for such a long time that we might have lost appreciation for what he actually did accomplish in his career. Uh, because it's like every year people have been dunking on Cam Ward for probably half a decade now. And like, has he been a very good starting goaltender in his career? Like, no. The answer is just no. No. But I also don't <laughs> nope. feel like there's anybody out there outside of Carolina's management who's like, yeah, Cam Ward's the guy. <laughs> like, Carolina's management just kept running it back, if only because it was like, well, this guy's like a franchise icon and we don't really have many of those. And. What do we do, right? And I I really don't God, this one this is another one. This is this is a tough one because I don't feel strongly either way. Like I, I it just seems like to me the the NHL circles that I've been exposed to, nobody felt that he was a quality starting goaltender beyond the one cup run. Yeah, his numbers were pretty pedestrian his entire yeah. career. AJ's boring out here properly rating people. <laughs> Yeah, I've never heard anyone go to bat for Cam Ward either. Right, that's the thing is like I don't like if I could conjure up some like magic person that like rolls into some like into a conversation where they're like Cam Ward was super underrated. He was the man. He led it a, a moribund franchise to respectability for a decade. Like there's nobody out there making that conversation. All right, let's let's do someone who you can. <laughs> I have heard that conversation about Eric Stahl. Under or overrated? (laughs) (laughs) This is a guy who's had a 100-point season, was allegedly in the Hart Trophy race a couple years ago. He was only in the Hart Trophy race because Mike Russo kept talking about it. Stop it. Nonetheless, (laughs) he was in it. Did he even get votes? I'm sure he got some votes, but I don't think he got many. We We can see. Yeah, let's look. He was a really good player for a long time who hit the inevitable 30-year 30, yeah. 30 wall. He finished a solid 17th for the heart. <laughs> yeah, which is... <laughs> which is one first-place vote. Not for bad. It's one fifth-place vote. <laughs> yeah. Other guys who finished 17th that year in heart were Bergeron, Crosby, and Hedman. So it sounds like a great place to be in that voting, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't... Eric Stahl's another guy. It's probably just because it's all Carolina guys. Nobody's ever like going to bat for him, but he was pretty much a point per game player for a decade. And I mean, that's not yeah. easy to be consistent like that. So I would probably lean more towards underrated just because he did it when, I mean, those were not great teams around him. So he didn't have a ton of help, but he was a really good player. I, I'm going to agree with Evan. I'm going with underrated. The guy has 1,000 points in 1,200 career games. Uh, he has an outside shot at 500 career goals if he keeps going for a couple more years. Like, this is the, this is a dude that has had a qu- very high-quality career and uh, a strong finish to the career. We could be talking about him as a legitimate Hall of Fame candidate when it's all done. Like, Does he have a, he, he have a gold medal, too? Was he on the 2010 team? Uh, I, okay. He's got that great, but the big, the big thing is, uh, for, for stall is that he didn't really ever, he was never really, he had one, one year where he finished top five in the heart voting. Otherwise he was never a serious contender, uh, never got serious voting, made a, made a handful of all-star teams in his prime, but that's really it. Like not, not a heavy award guy at all. Um, and 
you know, the fact that he played in Carolina will probably be something that might keep him out. Yeah. Um, because it's, he just sort of got lost out there for such a long time that even his decline, you can say it, we're a hockey dead zone. (laughs) Well, I mean, I love Carolina. Like I'm rooting for them and they're, they're super fun to watch. I think they're going to be one of the big contenders out East for the next five years. So I'm hoping that 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 helps that reputation, but it was like stalled, like stalls reputation was he's a great player. And then even when he stopped being a great player, people were just like, well, he's out there, Carolina. He has no help, you know? And so he goes to the Rangers, and then it was like, oh, he's terrible now. And then he goes to Minnesota and rejuvenates the career. And, you know, I'm going to say I'm sticking with underrated. I I think he's had a great great career in a borderline Hall of Fame case. I totally forgot he went to the Rangers. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody in the there. I'm just looking at his his first – after his rookie year, he had eight straight seasons of at least 70-point production. And that's – I mean, consistency is probably the hardest thing to do in the NHL. Well, and that stopped. That 70-point production stopped because of a, a lockout, not yeah. because he was bad. He was a point per game even in that season. Mm-hmm. His entire 20s, he was a 20 to 30 goal scorer and good for 70 points. Like the... <sighs> he's, he's right there with like – there's been so many good centers – probably over the last since the first lockout you know we had Crosby come in and Malkin and all those guys like I think yeah. of Stahl and then my personal favorite is Jason Spezza the guys who just kept yeah. producing and nobody like notices like they're point per game guys and they just keep going about their thing I think Stahl uh Spezza uh Getzlaff Giroux those guys are all sort of in that similar conversation where We've we've all thought of them as elite at some time in their career, and they've all had great longevity and great careers. And I think it'll be really interesting when we when it's all said and done for all those cats, which one of them, uh, which ones we pick and and end up putting in the hall. All right, I like that. I think that's a good place to end that conversation. We can take our second period break here, as it is time to remind you guys that we also cover the Colorado Raptors, Colorado's rugby team who play over at Infinity Park. They're an awesome spectacle to watch, I have to say. Even as someone who still is grasping the rules of rugby, I can always get down with a bunch of dudes just basically trying to tackle each other as hard as humanly possible. And somehow they're all so manly enough that they don't break. So always nice. But if you actually want to learn about the sport, Colton Strickler is taking you inside the locker room with the DNVR Raptors podcast. And of course, you can find his written content right on the DNVR site as well. Plus, check out our watch alongs every weekend. They watch Raptors games together and Colton can take you through some of the 101s of the sport. So Jump on it. Help support us. Be sure to follow that Raptors Twitter account from DNVR as well. And, of course, we also have my personal favorite, Manscaped. <laughs> AJ was showing off the uh, the newspaper earlier in the show. At least that's – thank God that's what he was showing off. and not <laughs> <laughs> Better that than his, his shave job. But, yes, Manscaped does indeed save balls, whether it be trimming the bush or just wanting to make things fresh and smell right down there. Look, they even have a comic book about gorilla balls shaving a heart into their private parts by the looks of what's going on down there. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look. So, you know, get on it. If you need to shave a heart in your privates for your man or lady, for that matter, it works on both people. I know it's called Manscaped, but trust me, it takes care of any and all hair you can possibly imagine. So jump on it today. You can purchase Manscaped from Manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping when you order with code DNVR20. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with the whole gang here. Earl, you have been roped in to be our victim of trivia today. So (laughs) unfortunately, you you have to face a little bit of rage against the machine here. And uh, it's not going to be pretty. We'll put it that way. (laughs) 
you? That's awesome. Did you make that? Or how the... I, you'll have to ask Adam on that one. He's the one who gave it to me. We have a, we have a handful of, of songs uh, yeah. in in the old MIDI form, eight bit style. Yeah, nice. You request some Frozen Two. <laughs> uh, if anyone was going to be it would be Adam that makes that at DMVR okay. for sure. <laughs> um, all right, Earl, are you prepared? We're, we shortened it to four questions because I'm very, very confident you will not get this correctly. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Earl's a little bit older than me. I won't reveal any ages here, but we went back a little bit before the avalanche time for these questions. Some weird sideswipe at our guest. <laughs> no That's okay. I already knew I was old. <laughs> Your profile picture isn't helping. You're gray. <laughs> well, fine. All right. Question number one. Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux have the 12 best scoring seasons of all time. Who has the 13th? Yari Curry. It is not Yari Curry. It happened in 88-89. Was it a Quebec Nordique? No. Okay. Let's see. Who would have been scoring points back then that I liked? It was a 155 point. What, what if it's someone you don't like? Yeah, I was going to say, what, what is this about the liking them that matters? I would say odds are quite high that there is some dislike of this uh, well, person. Uh, oh, so he's on the Rangers. <laughs> um, no, he's on the Red Wings. <laughs> he's a Red Wing. God, who was scoring for the Red Wings back then? I can't even imagine. Dude, that was when um, Steve Eiserman was good. Oh, jeez. All right, Iserman. <laughs> it is indeed Steve Iserman with a 155-point season in 88-89. Wow. Whoa, my God. Bernie Nichols? He <laughs> 150 points that year? Leeching off Gretzky. Yeah. He, uh, he had six straight 100-point seasons. Yeah. Bernie Nichols had 150 points in the same year as Iserman, so he had a 150-point season and didn't lead the league. <laughs> well, there's there was that year where <laughs> Mario scored 170 points, and Gretzky beat him by, like, 50. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Was, Lemieux had 112. Yeah, it was the stupidest thing ever. Like 150 points gets you fourth place. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what a what a league back then. This is a little different. All right. Uh, it every, was. Every time I, I talk to Earl, we have to talk about his favorite stat. So, who has the worst plus minus season of all time? It, it, it would almost have to be a Nordique. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's not a Nordique, and I'll give you partial credit if you get the team right, because you think, won't get the person. I feel like I heard, okay. I've heard this stat recently, but I don't remember the player's name. Who would be really bad? I'm going to go with the Toronto Maple Leafs. It is not a Toronto Maple Leaf. I want to say... I don't want to give it away. Just the team. Is, I'm probably wrong, though. <laughs> this team okay. had categorically <laughs> one of the worst expansion seasons ever. And yeah. the following years continued. The, in, was it? I don't know. The Caps? Yeah. Yep. That's what it I was is, saying. Yeah. It is the yeah. Washington Capitals. <laughs> And the guy's name is very similar to a famous left-handed golfer. <laughs> Bill Dickelson? We have Bill Dickelson. <laughs> his first name is Bill. <laughs> and his last name is just straight up Mickelson. So. 
<laughs> Bill Mickelson for the expansion now, Washington see. Capitals was minus 82. That's wow. incredible. <laughs> One, they only played, what, Holy 80 shit. games back then? That is so bad. <laughs> How many games did he play? Uh, I'd have to look it up. Hang on, we can pull it back up here. All right, Bill Mickelson. I want your thing and not Phil Mickelson's. Uh, yeah. Did you mean <laughs> Phil Mickelson? So, oh, this is the most impressive part. He was minus 82 in 59 games played. Oh. <laughs> and it becomes incredible when you remember there's a plus in that plus minus as well. Yeah, yeah he would <laughs> ever play again. <laughs> he played one game the following year, and that was his last game ever. He changed his name and became a golfer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> What's uh, Athanasio was pretty bad this year too, but that before he got, I think he was like minus forty five and. 45 games, but that seems like nothing compared to this guy. <laughs> Does he, he's like halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The questions only get harder from here in the last. What the <laughs> awesome. Was he at uh, least a defenseman? Yes, I believe he was. Oh my God. He had to be so bad. Yep, left shooting defenseman. <laughs> the goalie's like, why are you putting this guy on the ice again? <laughs> <laughs> Gold was probably too drunk to notice. <laughs> this dude was minus 53 yeah. in 72 games the year before. And then... So they knew what they were getting into. So he was like minus 150 <laughs> in his career? After being minus 53, Washington claimed him off of waivers from the Islanders. Jesus. <laughs> we gotta, he's a hidden gem. Jesus. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up. He did Little score ten points they know. that year. Scored three goals of his own that season, and went minus eighty-two. Probably put a lot in his own net too. <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> Holy crap! This one you have a decent chance on because again, you just have to pick a team. Which team has the most ties in a single season? The Hartford Whalers. It is not the Hartford Whalers, but the season was 69-70. Nice. Nice indeed. (laughs) They weren't even in the WHA then. Um, Let's see. Who would have tied a lot of games back then? Who was the The team back then? Louis Blues. Like eight choices. (laughs) It is an East Coast team. (laughs) Pittsburgh. That is not Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. Just keep throwing darts. <laughs> and my next guess was going to be California, but no. Uh, Philadelphia. Yep. The Philadelphia Flyers tied 24 games. I was going to say that instead of St. Louis, even. <laughs> In the 69. Boy, that was fun back then. 70 season. <laughs> what was their record? 24 ties? What the hell? I don't actually know. I just look up the stat that I need and I move on with my life. So <laughs> oh. I look up all sorry, these stats. sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, we're it up. I'm just curious how many games they, they must they would have won. 17, 35, and 24. Wow. So they were like a coin flip away from being <laughs> really good. Wins. They'd have been if they won half of their ties, they'd have been five hundred. <laughs> Uh, all those former players are still thinking that today. Like, oh, if we had only won half of those tie games, <laughs> we had a chance. What about OTLs? Uh, I, I believe there were a handful of teams. We could have won the smite division. 18 overtime losses. Uh, I did look up that. Tampa Bay was one of them. There were a couple Jesus. of them. Yep. That is a... I feel like Anaheim had a million the other year, and they made the playoffs because of it. Yeah. All right. Final question that if you know this answer, I will personally buy you an Avalanche jersey. Um, <laughs> who <laughs> has the highest single-season shooting percentage? Minimum 100 shots. Ever? Ever. Single-season. <laughs> It happened in 80-81. Alex Tangay. 
<laughs> Check that. Yeah. I was going to say uh, Mike Bossy. It's not Mike Bossy, surprisingly. Well, was it an Islander, though? Uh, I don't even know what team this guy played for, to be honest with you. I just um, look up the answer and <laughs> run away. The Cleveland Barons? He was a Los Angeles King. He did Marcel play for Dion. the Cleveland Barons earlier in his career. Uh, not Marcel Dion. <laughs> uh, he's the only king I know. So. <laughs> Except for Rogi Vachon. I did not I know this guy had a very good shooting before percentage. I looked this up. And he had multiple 100-point seasons, though. What did, how many goals did he score on how many shots? He scored 56 goals on 171 shots for <laughs> a 32.8% shooting percentage. Wow. God. He must have been like Bruno just right there in front of the net all year. Um, I, I can't... Oh. I, no, I can't remember any kings. What the? Dude. Other than Dion and Vachon, that, that's about it. The answer is... It's such a high shooting percentage. Charlie Simmer. <laughs> What's the modern day? Like, since 2000. We can look that up real quick. Oh, right, I keep asking you follow-up questions. Like, <laughs> what like I know... <laughs> I just want to know where that crazy ass Mike Ribeiro season finished where he shot like 30%. All right. Since 2000, all skating. I think it was actually Dreisaitl this year. Oh my God, right? He shot. It seemed like he was shooting like 27%. More filters. Shots. I just know Mike Ribeiro had that year in Dallas where he didn't shoot at all and he had like 20 goals. It was so Tangayan. It is the highest modern one with a minimum of 100 shots is Mike Ribeiro at 25.2%. Efficient. Uh, the next closest is... How many goals, How many goals did he score? At 25.2? Uh, he scored 27 goals on 107 shots. What? That's insane. Yeah, the Alex next... Kerfoot's jealous. The next yeah. is well-known, <laughs> well-known preseason av, Curtis Glencross, oh who scored 26 goals oh on 110 God. shots in 11-12 for a 23.6. Doesn't Sign t- him up. Doesn't Tanga have the record for like the most 20% shooting seasons or something like that? Yeah, his shooting percentage over his career is like insane, but he would never take a hundred shots in a season. So, oh, doesn't matter. That's he. Yeah, he's going for quality, not quantity. In his career, eighteen percent, which I think Mike Bossy leads that career, right? Probably, dude. It's something insane. Yeah, like. Anyway, we're wrapping down the show as we approach the hour mark here. So, I do just want to say. Thank you to Earl for coming on. Earl, any shout outs you want to make before we get out of here? Um, well, just to you for having me on and almost giving me a jersey. And <laughs> I wouldn't almost. say almost. It. <laughs> <laughs> it felt close. <laughs> Rudo, I will buy you a jersey if you're ready for one of AJ's follow up questions. <laughs> <laughs> Those are as hard as the actual trivia. <laughs> I had one of them right. I got Mike Ribeiro right. Where's my jersey? That wasn't the question. You can't answer your own question. (laughs) I got Uh, Chris McAllister right the other week. Yeah, Yeah, that was too easy. That was a great pull. (laughs) Still waiting. (laughs) Your sticker pack is waiting at the bottom. (laughs) Whoa, sticker pack. (laughs) Yeah, that's what one out of four gets you. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, that's that's, they call that a Ribeiro. These days, yeah, twenty-five percent, <laughs> baby. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, Earl. Thank you again for coming on. If you want to check out Burgundy Review, highly recommend them. They're an awesome blog that I used to do content for. Also, you know, us at DNVR, we're pretty cool too, I suppose. Uh, but thank you, 
everyone for listening. Way to sell us. <laughs> if you're already listening to this pod, you know who DNVR is, right? But but we're pretty know. cool too, guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know I love it here at DNVR, AJ. Come on now. Look, AJ's got to go save some more balls here. I can already see it coming, yeah. He saved balls, okay? <laughs> On that note, before we break down any further, <laughs> we are out of here for the day. I even already did all my reads, so thank you for watching, and please have a safe and fun holiday weekend.